0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio.
1: this week on Rewind, your week in review. Ringing in the new year means kicking off a new legislative session. We have the highlights from Inauguration Day at the Capitol. Plus, lawmakers will begin the year with more positive fiscal news with the budget surplus projected to spike again. And we dive into the report released by the January 6th committee. We tell you which Wisconsin lawmakers are making headlines. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 6th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin.
0: And I'm JR Ross.
1: Well, everyone, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, chair. Same to you. It kicks off a new legislative session after inauguration day this week. And first, let's just highlight Governor Tony Evers' speech. Now, many things that he talked about are very reoccurring things that we heard on the campaign trail and what he's introduced in his past budget. He called again for Medicaid expansion and, of course, working across the aisle, which we've heard from GOP leaders and Evers over the last several weeks that they kind of want to hit the reset button. Specifically, he also called his reelection a rejection of, quote, return of the bitter politics of resentment, and also called for the Capitol to work together on his goals, such as funding for schools and overturning the 174-year-old abortion ban. So let's just first take a listen from a part of Governor Tony's Evers' speech, and then we'll kind of get into how Republicans reacted.
2: Wisconsinites reaffirm that our duty and allegiance, first and foremost, is not to our own interests, but to each other, resolve to the common good that binds us, vehement about the values that unite us, and steadfast to the ideals that transcend us. We are here today to take an oath to support the constitutions of our country and our state, promising to faithfully discharge our duties to the best of our abilities. We have work ahead of us to not only protect these basic functions, but to forge, forward together. There's no question that the work we must do to build the future we want for our kids or our grandkids or our state is only possible if we're willing to do it together, and I believe that together we will. Wisconsin, we love you. Let's polka tonight and get to work tomorrow. Thank you, and on Wisconsin.
1: After the speech, of course, we always chase after the top Republicans, want to see what they thought about it. Uh, We heard a reoccurring theme that they thought many aspects of Evers' speech was, quote, partisan, because he called for things that he's put in his budget before, and Republicans just have no interest of doing such as Medicaid expansion. Let's hear from both GOP leaders on how they responded.
2: His speech was significantly more partisan than ours was, Um, so I think we are trying to focus on things where we can find common ground, Um, and I hope that he will revisit what his priorities are so that we can find a way to get things actually accomplished rather than a lot of political posturing. He basically spent most of his address today like it was a campaign rally, Um, And I tried to spend most of my address focusing on where we could find common ground and make sure that we are able to accomplish things for the people of Wisconsin. It was a very interesting speech by the governor. He talked about working together, but all of his ideas were highly partisan issues that, that he brought up. So I'm not sure how that's that's actually working together. The opportunity to reduce taxes in that upper tax bracket, that's just not millionaires and billionaires making that money. That's a small business in our communities that are sponsoring the softball leagues, that are struggling to hire employees, that are struggling with inflationary pressure. So it's important to give tax relief to all Wisconsinites, just not a few.
1: So it remains to be seen what they're going to be able to work on together. Um, both of them still want to reach across the aisle, get things done. Uh, first, just want to touch on the new faces in the Assembly, chair. Uh The Assembly swore in 24 new members, 16 Republicans, 8 Democrats. On the Senate side, 7 new members, 5 Republicans, 2 Democrats. So there's a lot of new faces, but, you know, I don't think it's going to change much of the policy that we see introduced in this next legislative session.
0: No, right now we're basically, they're basically setting down lines. Uh, the... the Shape the discussion we're gonna have for the next several months about the budget. Um, really where are we going with the surplus? We're we going with tax policy, we're we going with education policy. Um, it's interesting, Evers speech, he was, you know, basically taking a victory lap, a deserved victory lap. He won re-election. And he's saying that not everybody agrees with me, but maybe it's sixty percent, seventy percent, eighty percent, getting at Medicaid expansion is popular, election marijuana is popular, these things are on his side. The challenge for Evers has been, his tack so far has been to have public pressure on lawmakers, try to persuade them, and it hasn't worked. In part because they have very safe districts, right? The maps that they drew, state Supreme Court put in place in March, they did very well under those maps in the November election. There's not a real public pressure on them to move toward Evers. So what is Evers gonna do? He's met now with both Devin Lemihue and Robin Voss. Is that a thawing of the ice? Possibly but what can they get done um, together or is it going to end up being the standoff for the next six, seven, eight months over the budget?
1: Right, and of course, taxes got brought up again. Mm-hmm. Evers once again called for targeting the middle class because we've heard from Lemehue again reiterate he wants to implement a flat tax. We've heard Speaker Voss express interest in that, but he might be working on his own plan uh, behind the
0: scenes. So What did Evers say in his speech? We don't need tax breaks for millionaires and, and billionaires. billionaires. Mm-hmm. Who is affected by the top tax bracket of 7.65 percent? Married couples making $370,000 or more—that's an issue. Now, Devin argued those are small business owners, or people who pay for softball league, right, and you know work in the community. But that's your philosophical rub right now in taxes, and we're going to go with that.
1: And issue. speaking of tax cuts, we know that whatever they want to do, or whatever they, <clears throat> excuse me, come up with. A lot of it's going to come out of the state surplus. Yeah. And this week, we also got more positive fiscal news. What happened is Wisconsin's Medicaid fund is now projected to finish the fiscal year with 700, nearly $775 million. Now, that is a lot more than was expected just three months ago, and which is just more good news for the state, which can also maybe mean more debate going forward. Now, if this latest projection holds, it would push that surplus to close to 7 billion dollars.
0: So uh, the federal government is doing an add-on in the matching grants it does to states for people covered by the Medicaid program. So when you're a, it's a it's a program funded by state and federal dollars. Um, as you spend state money, you get federal matching money. The federal government has been enhancing that, that match with an add-on, they've called it, during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been about 6.2 percent, I believe. Now, that's going to end at the end of March, but the omnibus bill passed by Congress and signed by President Biden includes a ratcheting down of that add-on. So instead of it ending March 31st and being done, it's going to drop to 5% for the second quarter of 2023, then 2.5%, I believe, then down 1.5%. That means you're getting more money for everybody on Medicaid because of that. It helps generate the surplus we're going to see. Now, there are other factors involved, like the cost for prescription drugs have dropped, but this is more good news. Uh, what to watch for now is the fiscal bureau in probably two weeks, maybe uh, end of end of January. Will do revised estimates on one revenue expectations to the end of the next biennium, which is June 30th of 2025, and two look at where we're at in this current fiscal year. So we got DOA's look right in November. They had the 6.6 billion surplus based off the earlier DHS number for Medicaid. Now we're talking 6.9. Fiscal Bureau will do another look at these revenues and go well. It could be up or down. It'll give us another starting block for Evers, who does his budget February 15th. So, I mean, it's just been remarkable at the run of good news fiscally we've seen in Wisconsin. Remember, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, we were told by Fiscal Bureau in June of 2021, we had unprecedented growth in in revenue is because the covid money that was flushed into states it just drove things dramatically it, it's another i mean it it's amazing the run we've had of how much money is coming in and to keep us perspective if we're going to spend 20 billion dollars of general purpose revenue overall in the current fiscal year in wisconsin our surplus is one third of that like th- that's that's yeah. mind-blowing
1: right and just how much has grown,, yeah. and it keeps going up, yeah. I mean, it was what a year ago is only at four point three mm. billion, and now we 're closer to only. seven only. only right oh just only I mean that 's pocket change right yeah. for us reporters um, so yeah, very, interesting, and just a lot more uh, that we 're going to see from uh, the joint finance over the next several months, mm. and just from state lawmakers trying to figure out and toss proposals and ideas out of how, where they 're going to land yeah. essentially, um, also, we want to recap what happened, uh, a lot of news that happened over. The holiday break and New Year's, which is related to the January 6th report, which is the committee that has been investigating the attack on the U.S. Capitol. So we've learned that there's been some ties with some Wisconsin lawmakers. Specifically, I want to highlight testimony that Andrew Hitt, who is the former state chair of the GOP party, gave to the January 6th committee because he gave some new revelations about what he believes uh, happened when lawmakers were meeting at the Capitol to kind of have this whole plot for fake electors. So what he said in his testimony, and it was shown in text messages, is that he said Senator Ron Johnson suggested the state legislature choose the 2020 presidential electors, not voters. In a testimony that he provided, or excuse me, this is the text message that he sent between Mark Jefferson, who was the... For- who is the current executive director of the state party, that he said, Ron called me and is now arguing for us to have the legislature choose the elections. Hitt texted, OMG, which is, oh my gosh. Now, Senator Ron Johnson is now saying that he has no recollection of having these phone conversations with Hitt. He then accused the January 6th committee of smearing him. He said in a statement to us that he has no recollection of the phone call and in the text that Hitt is talking about. He repeated that his goal since the November 2020 election has been consistently to restore confidence in the election system. So we're learning more about this, but Ron Johnson is once again defending that, you know, I had no idea this was happening. Um, They also has the whole issue of Ron Johnson, you know, a little months ago of the fake electors being handed to one of his staffers who then tried to get in the hands of then vice president mike pence so it just doesn't really give him a great look um but just more revelations continue to come out of this whole thing
0: Uh, obviously johnson's not happy this is coming out now um i heard democrats say well if this is really all about a smear would actually have this two months ago they could have brought it up during the campaign but obviously it didn't happen Um, for johnson He's been downplaying his role in this entire thing from the first time first day it came out. There seems to be a little bit more and more evidence that he was connected somehow now. Was he a major player? Doesn't look like it. But at least he was at the state level appears to be advocating for state lawmakers to step in and appoint electors. Don't forget, he also argued to state lawmakers that they could take over administration in federal elections. He didn't like the elections commission anymore, didn't trust them. One of them to basically Republicans to run the show that came to his election, um, but really for for Johnson, what's the fallout going to be? He just got reelected; he's there for six more years. Um, I don't sense talk to people this week. There's a big political risk or problem for him with this. I mean, this is the Ron Johnson we've come to know, you know. Uh, so I don't know it's going to be a big deal for him going forward.
1: And we do want to mention too, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss kind of defended that he said ron johnson never came to me and asked for us to have the legislature pick electors because reporters did ask him about that on inauguration day and of course voss has repeatedly said that the legislature has no authority to overturn the results of what happened in
0: 2020 and, you know we, we it's hard to read into text messages what they like the, the thought behind them right It's just like right. a text was ron johnson raising this suggestion was he just popping was off. Was he just floating the yes. idea? Right. You, yes. We don't know he was actually pressuring people to do this kind of thing. Correct. All
1: right. Let's move on for some other news that happened over break. Some big news, uh, specifically about the Wisconsin DNR board. Fred Prin, who has been repeatedly asked by the Evers administration to step down, finally did. Now, he was on the policy board, who was appointed by then Republican Governor Scott Walker, and after months of him refusing to step down after his term ended, he did resign last month. In a quote, that or his resignation letter, he said Said, three people, or excuse me, it's time for the state legislature to act on Governor Evers' nominations as soon as possible and practical. Now it's time for me to move on. This comes on top of three people that Governor Tony Evers appointed last term will now resume their positions on the Wisconsin Technical College System Board after their Republican predecessors finally agreed to step down 20 months. So we're now trying to, you know, we're seeing a lot more people saying, all right, my time's up. Let's start, uh, you know, turn the page of, Governor Tony Evers' second term and let these appointees take their positions? Well,
0: reality is set in. Um, with Prane and the DNR board, he was holding back that board from going to a 4-3 Evers majority, kept it Geordie Walker appointees. The current chair of the board, his term is up in May. He has told us last year that he was going to ask Evers to reappoint him, but if he wasn't reappointed, he would likely step down. So no matter what Prain did eventually, it's going to become Evers majority picks, right? Um, The question I have is what's the Senate gonna do now with these uh, Evers appointees? As of last month, I think, there were about 180 Evers appointments that hadn't been confirmed, including members of this cabinet, by the GOB-run state senate. So there's two trains of thought. One, you know, Republicans feel like these Evers appointments to some boards are too political. Uh, With the DNR board, their worry is that they're gonna try and do environmental policy that goes that runs afoul of the business community, stuff like that. So as the Senate, take up Evers appointments and rejects them to send a message. You have to work with us. We have the advise and consent role in the Senate. You have to work with us to find acceptable nominees. Or do you just not confirm people to hold that over their heads, right? That if you mess up or do something we don't like, we'll come in and fire you. There's a debate on how to approach those things. Devin Lemming, who talked this week, actually recent weeks, everybody's gonna start over. We're gonna go through the committee process and run these things through. So what to watch is how do they treat these picks now they're going to fill these spots or be in line to fill these spots. Yeah,
1: and you got to think of the factor, too. If there was a Republican governor, Tim Michaels, maybe a lot of these people would have stayed on. And you know,
0: That's why they suck around. Right. When I said the rally set in, they realized, I would have to be here for six years beyond my six-year term to prove a point. It just wasn't worth it anymore.
1: All right, and we have an update on the vacancy in the 8th Senate District after Alberta Darling stepped down. The pool has shrunk mm-hmm. quite a bit, J.R. Yeah. We now have just Representative Janelle Branchon. I should say we now have three Republicans and one Democrat. So on the Republican side, State Representative Janelle Branchin, Representative Dan Conodle, and Van Mobley. Now, Mobley is from Theesville. He is the village president there currently. And then Jody Habish-Sinkin is the only Democrat in the race. She is an attorney out of Whitefish Bay. So as we get closer to the spring ballot, or, or February ballot, excuse me, um, There'll be a lot less people to choose from.
0: Well, what's interesting is um, Randy Hopper, former state senator, dropped out over the holidays. Um, There's a Concordia University student who also decided not to run. Um, he pulled back. Um, the kind of perceptions now that Dan Canole is the moderate in this GOP field, which is fascinating. Right. They're on the Capitol for a long time, because Dan Canole signed a letter to Mike Pence advocating for the then-vice then vice president not to certify the 2020 election results for at least 10 days. To look for fraud. Dan Knodal has been no squish on conservative issues. He also has been a thorn in the side of leadership, much like Branchon, but in a different way. After the 2020 elections, Dan Knodal used to be in leadership with the Assembly GOP caucus. He, though, backed a challenge to Robin Voss as Speaker by Rob Brooks. After that came out that he's going to back that challenge, Voss allies engineered a challenge to Knodal as caucus chair, and he ended up losing that race for election as caucus chair. The difference is Canodal has not has foot on the gas of the 2020 stuff for two solid years like Branchen, So he's moderate by comparison. Right. But he's no <laughs> real moderate. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you know, Van Mobley, he's a Trump backer. He endorsed Donald Trump early in the 2016 cycle. Um, what's the president going to do for him? president? Will he get involved? We don't know. Um, it's to gonna be fascinating to watch the turnout, but also it feels like the establishment Republicans are kind of rallying around Canodal because they fear branching. And now Hopper in his statement said he was dropping out because he don't want to be a spoiler. They want to run the risk of an extreme candidate getting through. Didn't say who he's talking about. Right. We can read between the lines. He's mm-hmm. talking about branching. There's a fear that she makes that race more difficult for Republicans. It's a Republican seat. But a special election, the right conditions, it can be won by a Democrat. And there's a sense of Kenodal's their best chance to avoid that happening. Uh, for Hopper, too, I think part of what I got back was that, you know, he got in just two weeks before he dropped out. And probably what was going on was when he ran in 2008 for that Senate seat in Fond du Lac, um, he was recruited. He was the guy. So if you call somebody, when you're the recruited candidate, you call people, they give you checks, they put your name on their endorsements, they take your yard signs. In his calls, you probably found out, I'm the same lane as Dan Kanodal. We're both vying for the same kind of people. This is not great for us in terms of, like, or me, and how my chances of winning that nomination, especially with the rallying around canola you've seen going on.
1: All right, now let's get to stock picks this week. Rising is a former state representative from Madison who is now a judge, is Chris Taylor, who was appointed a spot on the appeals court. Uh,
0: Actually, so she she filed for the appeals court. She has got no opposition. Oh, she has no opponent, excuse me. She has no opponent for the appeals court. So appeals court races are not very sexy, (laughs) to say the (laughs) least. They're often uncontested when you have an incumbent, you have an example here where somebody's going to become an appeals court judge without facing anybody just because she turned in like, 1,700 signatures to the Elections Commission. Now, I don't want to diminish you know, getting nomination papers together and all that kind of good stuff. And that's not the only reason why Chris is going to be in position to become an appeals court judge. She has got a network. She's a former state lawmaker, appointed to Dane County Bench by Evers in 2020. She has aggressively moved after the incumbents that was going to run again to lock down endorsements. She has a fundraising network. She's a formal opponent in a district that is 24 counties. Uh, That is not an easy place to get around. Granted, it's dominated by Dane County, but give her credit for the work she put in to nail down this opportunity. It also puts her in a position to be a Supreme Court candidate down the road. Now, the second she's appointed to the Dane County bench by Evers, there was talk of, okay, she's gonna run for Supreme Court someday. Right. Mm -hmm. There is a growing progressive bench of candidates um, I don't want to name all of them, but Rachel Graham on the Appeals Court, Judge Wiley on Racine County, they both passed on running this year the Supreme Court. You've got to add to that mix of pro- potential progressive candidates for the Supreme Court down the line, because in 2025, Ann Walsh-Bradley will be 73. She'll be running for her fourth 10-year term if she goes again. In 2020, She's a progressive. In 2026, Rebecca Bradley, conservative, will be up for her second 10-year term. There will be opportunities possibly coming up soon, and it's going to be interesting to watch... That field, plus the Republican conservative one of Shelley Grogan and Walker Shaw County, the appeals court based there, uh, Maria Lazar. There's a good group of candidates on both sides of the aisle for those future races.
1: All right. And mix this week is cabinet turnover, because we predicted this with a new term and his second term under Governor Tony Evers. A lot of people want to go elsewhere.
0: Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, three people left post-election. Right. So not that. Different from Walker, his second term, he had to leave. The difference is, Evers had a lot of change during his first term. Of the seventeen cabinet positions, we kind of traditional cabinet positions, he didn't have a change of leadership in eleven of them. And one is two people: uh, Andrea Palm was his first DHS Health Services Secretary. Karen Timberlake, one of the three who's leaving now, she replaced Andrea Palm because Palm went off to DC to join the Biden administration. Now Timberlake's going back to the private sector. So. There's been some turnover, a little bit of churn. Uh, that's more than what Walker had his first term. But, yeah, look at from this perspective. They were cabinet secretaries during a pandemic.
1: I was just going to bring that so, up. They had a lot you know, to deal with. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, yeah. look, you're, you're often taking a pay cut to become a cabinet secretary anyway. It's not a fun job sometimes. And you add in the pandemic top of everything else, you can see why people would want to either retire if they're that of that age or go back to a job in the private sector.
1: All right. And falling this week is the tax burden because it's at the lowest
0: on record. Yeah, so the Wisconsin Policy Forum uh predecessor of the Wisconsin Taxpayers Alliance have been tracking the state and local tax burden as a share of income for fifty years. We're just above ten percent right now. Uh, it peaked in seventy one, above fourteen percent. What's going on right now is you have the combination of tax cuts in this current budget. So remember it was a billion dollars in each of the biennium. And this is the last fiscal year it ended. June 30th of 2022. There's a billion bucks in that uh, tax cuts in that fiscal year alone. We have property tax caps from state-imposed local governments that help keep those low, and we had income growth. So while revenue collections are going up, uh, re- income is growing at a faster rate. So that's what drives down the share of income. What's coming up now, another billion bucks in, property, in t- income tax cuts this current fiscal year, we are talking about more tax cuts the next biennium, right? Everybody wants to cut taxes. That's <laughs> that's assumed. Well, it's, it's it brings the ears, Jr.
1: It sounds great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's how much and where you get. How are you going to cut them? Yeah. Uh, but this is a trajectory that's putting in a different spot now. For some people, going to say, "Well, this is okay, great for the taxpayer, but not great for our spending on schools, our spending on priorities." That they're going argue we've dropped from being a top spending state on education to more middle of the pack. So while we've gone down from a top tier, most tax state. To more in the middle of the pack, also a top spending state on schools, down to more middle of the pack as well.
1: All right, and before we end this show, I do want to tease our audience of what's happening on Monday. You and I will be monitoring the first. Uh lively discussion of a state Supreme Court debate. So you can tune in on Wisconsin Eye. They will be re-airing it later in the date. But you can catch my coverage on CBS 58. Of course, you on WIS Politics will be covering it in depth after we, mm-hmm. of course, do the debate. But all four candidates have agreed to be there, and it should be a fun one. It will be on Monday at noon at the Minona Terrace. So looking forward to that. All right, that will do it for this week's show. I'm Emily Fannin. And
0: I'm J.R. Ross.
1: We'll see you next week.
0: This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.